Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about learning to say no and set boundaries to live our best lives. I'm your host, Heather Drago. You may think because of this podcast that I'm a boundary setting expert, but I'm not. I'm an expert at struggling to set boundaries. But you know what? I'm working on it and it is getting easier. Follow along with me as I learn from fellow strugglers and experts so that you too can start saying no without feeling fear, guilt, or FOMO. growing up, it was a lot closer to the stupid jock shoves into lockers, steal your lunch money and call you a loser depiction of a bully that we see on TV. And that's not to say that it wasn't hurtful and problematic. It was just easy to spot. It was physical, it was aggressive, and it was nothing like the bullying my kids faced and even further from the bullying that kids growing up now are having today. For example, my beautiful young child was this beautiful, curly-haired, talented, kind uh, little girl with glasses in elementary school, like third, fourth grade, and beautiful child. She got bullied because she wore glasses and she had curly hair. She was different, right? I didn't even realize how um, how much abuse she was taking at school from other kids just because she was a little bit different. Growing up through her tweens and teens, and even to this day, there are after effects where she's still dealing with critical self-talk in her head that resulted from that. So, I mean, that's a small snapshot, but I know kids um, can be really cruel during those ages. Um, Even now, kids get called the most vile things in the comments of their own social media pages. They get mocked and ridiculed by their friends, sometimes to their face sometimes behind the back. Their insecurities get taken advantage of in a society that is already beginning to weaponize those insecurities against them. The emotional core of bullying is still the same. It's a power grab. It's about trying to gain something, social status, admiration, authority, by putting other people down. It's about making an in-group for yourself and everyone that you target is part of the outgroup. It's isolating. Being bullied makes you feel like nobody cares about you, like what makes you different is bad. So what do we do about it? Is bullying just evidence of some nihilistic truth about human nature? Is it just the result of systematic inequalities that trickle down to our playgrounds and schoolrooms? How do we fight the good fight around bullying? Our guest today knows how she can make a difference. Ashley Jones is an attorney and litigator who has made it her firm's mission to fight bullying at all levels of the criminal justice system. 
with degrees from Ohio University and Cleveland State. Go Vikes! She and her law partners fight every day to make sure people get the advocacy they deserve. So nice to have you on the show, Ashley. Thank you for having me. So um, what is your history with bullying and why does it matter so much to you? I don't really know that I have a big story about being bullied as a kid. I probably was. I think all kids are to some degree. To some degree right, are, right, right. are bullied and some people hold on to those, you know, stories into their adult lives as sure. you've, as you've talked about. So I probably do and I probably have just kind of blocked it out. <laughs> but I think I just always have felt uh, a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And I think that's what drew me to criminal law. And that's what drew me to being interested in history and politics. And um, and so when I got interested in practicing law, it was just, uh, this was a way that I felt like, who were the people that needed representation? And to me, I didn't want to have a corporate job or represent some big company. Like that just seemed too impersonal to me. It mm -hmm. seemed like I would be able to fight bullying and help people that needed help by fighting for people who have been charged with a crime. Mm -hmm. And so people within the system look down on people, but then people, you know, out of the system, just the way we talk about people that have been charged right. with a crime. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I landed there. Yeah. Well, I would love to dig into sort of the inequalities of the justice system and how people are bullied. I, I have a little tiny bit of familiarity in this, in that years and years ago, I was part of a campaign. Um, our attorney general at the time, who's now governor, Mike DeWine, funded um, centers around the state called Trauma Recovery Centers. And they were to help people who had been in the justice system um, have resources to help get them out of dangerous situations, help with emergency services, counseling, all kinds of things. And what I learned to my dismay is that there's all kinds of um, services like this available to people, but not if you've ever been in the criminal justice system. And there, it's often um, the services are accessed through prosecutor's offices. So people who have, even if their family member had a bad relationship with the justice system, they're hesitant to reach out mm -hmm. for help. So I, I found that so um, troubling that there's a whole segment of people like who definitely need help mm -hmm. who can't access it. So I was really happy to be part of that. And and I thought that was a very wise thing for our state to set up. But um, there's so many other inequalities. Right. So fill me in. Oh, I well, mean, I hear how about much time it here and there. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'll give, you, I'll give you some, some examples just from every day. Okay, mm -hmm. so today is at the Justice Center, which is the courthouse um, that has Cuyahoga County Court of Common Pleas and Cleveland Municipal Court in it. Um, and when you get off the elevator, there on every floor, there's like a waiting area, right? And as people wait for their lawyer. And... I've noticed this the past 12 years that I've been practicing. Every day you get off the elevator and everybody in the waiting room, for the most part, 90 plus percent, are black and brown. How is that possible? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's jarring to get off the elevator every day and you see it. Every single person waiting. So that's a huge thing that if you went to the Justice Center, you would, you would see. If anybody went to the Justice that's what they would see. Mm -hmm. And is there a segregation of like all the attorneys and judges are... Or um, Caucasian and, and others I think, are people I th of color. Yeah, I think there's a big, I think there's a big yeah, disparity. That has to be jarring. I yeah. think there's a big disparity. Yeah. Um, 
my law partner would know the numbers on that better. She's an African American woman, and she would know the number of lawyers that are yeah um, that are of color, which is not many. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and for instance, like the Common Pleas Bench, which handles felonies and in civil cases as well, but I don't touch that world. Um, the majority of them are white. I think there's maybe two people of color yeah. um, out of 34. Right. People that are overseeing the cases. Wow. Wow. So we talked about it trickling down, right? So like what, like, I guess this is where we philosophize about society <laughs> where and we things fix like it. that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I guess, where do you step in and, and where do you, um, where do you find ways to counteract some of these, this sort of, I guess it's um, institutional bullying, mm -hmm. we could call it in yeah. a way. Yeah, um, I'm sure it has a, I'm sure it has a name. I mean, my number one job, I think, always is to, to my client, right? And I have a duty to my client. Um, and a lot of times that, you know, in the course of representing them, it is to be kind to them and treat them like a human and treat them with respect, regardless of what they are charged with. And that runs the gamut mm -hmm. in our firm. So we have a big culture on just how we treat people and how they mm -hmm. make them feel. And clients who have had multiple cases will tell us, like, never, you know, really, my lawyer's never listened to me before. My lawyer's never sat down with me before. Or and my lawyer never knew about this stuff in my childhood or never knew about my mental health or I didn't feel comfortable sharing, mm -hmm. you know, my mental health. Um, so I think just the way that we treat people. And that can trickle down from judges, from everybody else, the way you treat people. Um, can make a big difference about what their experience is while they're there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fix the disparity of the numbers, mm -hmm. but it can change how what their experience is, at least while they are there. Mm -hmm. And we hope that they felt heard and mm -hmm. that they felt like we did the best job and the system did the best job, even though we know that it doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of times it doesn't work. And that from our perspective as defense lawyers, there are roadblocks, maybe some of these institutional things like you mentioned, that are put in our way. It's like, it's like you're driving a car and you're, you know, the route. Right. And then all of a sudden there's like trees just like falling. You're like, there's not supposed to be a tree that falls down. Mm -hmm. How do I get through the road? Yeah. yeah. So I want to be mindful that we're both two white. Yes. Middle class women. Right. Like kind of speaking from a place of privilege, like we're, we're not experiencing experiencing this now, although you are definitely fighting the good fight. Right. My background, I actually grew up in a situation where I, you know, as a child, I would go to prison visitation. <laughs> and, um, so I've I've touched the circumferences, you know, mm -hmm. the, the borders and things like that. So I would say, like, do we want to touch on, like, why that is? You walk into, a, into the Justice Center and you see this sort of alarming disparity. Like, do we want to talk about... <laughs> I mean, we how, can. How deep do we want to? I mean, yeah. we try. We try to stay away from politics yeah. on this. I will say, the thought that popped in my head was you as you were talking was, you know, in our country we say, you are innocent, you know, presumed innocent, right, mm -hmm. um, until you're proven guilty. I once had a conversation with a lovely lady, lovely woman lives in my neighborhood, really sweet lady, and we were chatting, and I had just been sent a notice that I was being called to grand jury duty and I was kind of freaking out because that's like a six-week commitment right, right. and I have a small business and I was like oh, I don't think I can do this right and um she happened to see me as I was getting my mail and I was freaking out and and so we had this conversation and she's like I would love to be on jury duty and I was like why and she's like because if someone's been 
charged with a crime, they're guilty. That's why they're there. They're guilty. Like, why would they charge them unless they're And I just sat there, like, looking at her like, um, you've lived in a bubble your whole life. What? What? <laughs> in a bubble with a lot of people who feel that way. Yeah. The bubble I, is very full. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, and the other thing, too, is... I'll be driving around through certain neighborhoods of Cleveland um, based on because I work with a lot of nonprofits and um, community development corporations that help, you know, grow and revitalize areas and mm-hmm. things like that. So I'm driving around in neighborhoods where there's public housing and stuff. And most people would think, like, that's scary and lock your doors. And I actually that's where I feel at home because it's kind of like where I grew up in Southern California. Um but I know other people who are like, avoid those areas, lock your doors. Like, or just mm-hmm. they just assume because someone is either poor mm-hmm. or of a certain race, mm-hmm. they're a criminal. Right. So how do we, how do we, I mean, that's sort of societal bullying, isn't it? Isn't that yeah. kind of prejudice right. kind of? Right. And then it, it becomes like a fulfilling prophecy yeah, when yeah. you, uh, when you look at the number of people that are charged and the demographics of it. I mean, I can't speak for for anywhere else. And certainly, you know, <laughs> I only have my own experience, my right, own right, anecdotal right, experience right. of doing this for a living. But, I mean, certainly there's been much written nationally sure. and in the state about how we charge people in this county mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, and, what, and what that process is. So, you know, people don't get to court um, without... You know, having interaction with police and then, you know, prosecutor signing off on things. And so police officers make decisions about how to charge things, um, if to charge things, and whether or not to let somebody go. The police on the spot mm-hmm. make the decision. Well, they're make, going to make a decision about whether or not a crime has, you know. So so there are a lot of situations where we get a, we get a robbery in, right? And you read it and you're like, this isn't a robbery. This is a breaking and entering, a theft, you know, whatever. But sometimes it'll get charged as as a robbery. Is and that a more serious charge? Yes, that oh, would be a more serious okay, felony. Sorry. Yeah. I know nothing. Um, about that. Or, or you can think about it not even in the context of, like, super serious crimes, right? But um, somebody gets pulled over. Um, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about yeah. how, who we pull, how, we, yeah, how yeah, traffic yeah. stops go. That's a whole other conversation. Right. But that's why it's so important because the second I said that you you know oh, people yeah. can think about what that means right? right right so someone gets pulled over there's suspicion of an OVI which is a DUI we just call it OVI now and it it's like oh I'm gonna let this person go or not so I you know I can imagine there are situations where um, the, the the young black man is not getting he's not being let go right and the kid in Bay Village speaking generally, right. is being let right. go. We know that happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just think Philando Castillo. I think about him all the time. Yes. Like, at yes. least three times a week I think about him. Like, I just, it breaks my heart. Yeah. You know, the accepted norm of bullying as children to other school children, as adults to the checkout lady when you're angry because you had a bad day and you start bullying her. Like, I think... Right. I think as a society, it's just like escalating. Right. I mean, I've had lots of situations where I've had a prosecutor or a judge say something about my client, something derogatory, something improper. Right. Ba- you know, based on, um, you know, oh, his, you know, his baby mama or how many oh, kids Lordy. does he have or, <laughs> right. um, 
you know judging their character just things on... that are just yeah that are just unnecessary mm-hmm. you know unrelated completely unrelated mm-hmm. um so those sort of you know those sort of comments when those are from people who have a position of power in right over that direct matter that someone's in the criminal justice system for. Like, I'm here to talk about the case and to me what are allegations Mm -hmm. and we will figure it out or have a trial or whatever. We have one job, everyone's trying to do their job. My, you know, while I guess my personal beliefs as to like justice and things like that seep in, but like my personal beliefs about a particular person. And their lifestyle. Right, don't matter to the case so like why you would feel the need to have to make some sort of derogatory comment about my client when we're i'm I'm here doing a job like this is a professional setting Mm -hmm. um and it's just that's bullying that's bullying by saying that is there any recourse when that happens no there's no there's there's no recourse for prosecutors to do any for anything that they do none yikes okay google it they I'm, lie, they hide things, just Google. Wow. Okay. Well, on that happy note, yeah, right. Uh, we're going to take a little break, <laughs> and then we'll be right back. That's a Hard No is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing, my full-service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, what's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate. So bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually make sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Welcome back. Ashley and I talked a lot about bullying, about inequality. Ashley's job puts her front and center for all of it. The more we talked, the more it was clear to me just how much strength it takes for her to make this emotional space for her clients and coworkers. It's a good reminder, being an advocate isn't something you do, it's something you are. Ashley's fighting every day to make space for people who don't usually get fair treatment. 
and has had to make strong boundaries around that space. We learn a little more about what those boundaries look like and how she keeps her head on straight through all the madness. All right, so let's talk about that. The prosecutor's office, bullying in the courtroom. Like what? Tell me more. Let's yeah, right. Jeez, I know. <laughs> who is listening to this? Um, I mean, there just are. So the system is supposed to work as a system, right? right. With a capital S. Mm-hmm. And systems need to be efficient and they need to be quick and you don't need to have impediments. People like me are an impediment to the system. Right, right. Not the way it was conceptualized, but the way that it operates now in my day-to-day life. I'm an, I'm an impediment. I'm right. looking at things too much and asking too many questions. And so clients that want to exercise their rights to like a trial or a motion hearing or litigate things are like, sometimes I've had judges, like I've had judges tell me like, you're not having, like we're not having a trial. Like you can work it out. Isn't that like, wait a minute. Wrong. Isn't that like in our constitution or yeah. something? Yeah. Like we're entitled to a trial. Yep. Yep. With a jury of our peers. Yep. Right. Isn't that, I yep. remember to that counsel, from school. Yeah, to yeah, counsel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They should just be like, we're not going to have Yeah, trial. we just kind of forget about that sometimes. How is that possible? Just it's because of, because bullying is pervasive. So, so judges will say like, you're, you know, you're not going to, well, you better hope you win or else. Because in my world, you'll ask a lawyer, what's a trial tax? Every lawyer knows what that means. It means if you lose, you're going to get whacked more than you would have than if you would have pled guilty to something. So you have lawyers ask, oh, am I going to get a trial tax there? Am I going to get a trial? Like, these are the things that we have to, like, as if the work isn't hard enough, right? And, like, life isn't hard enough for just, like, our own personal lives. Right, right, right. um, And and the law, which is, like, you know, Yeah. And does that follow you from, let's say, for this client, you you pay the trial tax Mm -hmm. and they lose and then they get the worse judgment than they would have. Does that follow you then with other clients? Like that, that judge remembers you and then they I like, think, I think you kind of pay that tax for I a little think while? That, I think that's possible. Yikes. Now, I do think sometimes like judges will yell at you about that. But then if you stand up to them, it's almost like they want you to like, it's like almost like a sign of respect, like a, like a weird, like psycho initiation thing, right? <laughs> Where it's like, now I, now I have, you've given me this offering or something, right? Um, but yeah, you have to think it like we think about things like, oh, is that really good like for the client? Like, gotta think about what, what will happen. You know, and yeah, and then to have to advise clients. I mean, we've had to advise clients all the time. Oh, well, look, because we're in this courtroom, we really don't think you should do this. If we were across the hall, we would totally do this. We have to make those determinations because of a judge because being they have a bully. so much power, yeah. and nobody understands this, and nobody pays attention when they're voting. So, if you ran the justice system <laughs> in the perfect world, how would you fix it? <sighs> I mean, look, not everyone has to think the same things and, and politics don't really come into play. I would just ask people to be kind, yeah. just not be terrible. If it were your child, your son gets right. accused of this, how would you want him to be treated? Right. What would you want the judge to do? How you would want you would hire the best lawyer, yeah, right? Yeah. Probably one of these people that you're terrible to. And you <laughs> would want them to do every single thing that they could. Right. But we lose sight of that. Judges lose yeah. sight of that. And yeah. another thing, so many judges are former prosecutors. And some prosecutors oh, are great. Right, I mean, some, right. I, like, it's not all a bad prosecutor thing. I'm not trying to necessarily rip yeah. on prosecutors. I've had friends who are prosecutors. But, you know, there is a culture at <laughs> yeah. certain places that is not good. Yeah. So, I mean, when there's, you know, when there are some people that are have become wonderful judges that have been in, so kind and so fair yeah, yeah. that I really didn't see coming. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just 
Yeah. It's just a bad. Doesn't that translate to everything? Just be kind. Just see that person as a human. Right. And talking about being in the system. I mean, I could go off on this for an hour, but um, when my kids were in school, they're both neurodivergent. I'm neurodivergent. We've got ADHD. We've got a little bit of on the autism spectrum here and there. Like it's kind of part of the genetic. My my child calls it the genetic jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so. I would get called into these meetings with counselors and teachers and they would they would start to tell me how to parent mm-hmm. because they were frustrated that my kid didn't fit into their syllabus and their system. And I would get furious and I would say, I, you don't tell me how to parent. I won't tell you how to teach. Right. Um, but if you can't reach my kid because they're not fitting your program, that's your job. Your job is to figure out how to reach my kid. Um, and that's when we started fighting with different, you know, IEPs and stuff like that. But it was really hard and 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 I and part of it I think is that teachers and any governmental quasi governmental system is so underfunded and so stretched thin and people are so tired they they want you to fit and if you don't you just get chewed up by the wheels yep that's exactly what it is <laughs> that's exactly what it is yeah yeah so more funding I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You and I I have no idea. No one will listen to us. It's above my pay grade. If they would make us the queens of the world, that would would be great. Right? Yes. (laughs) So um, you're a woman, and I would assume is a male dominated, I perceive to be a Mm -hmm. male dominated field Mm -hmm. of attorneys. What's that like? I'm sure in law school and in just practicing, there's, you know, chauvinism and jerks. That's, That's life stuff yeah like tell me about bullying and boundary setting in that environment and and interestingly you and i both have primary well mine's primarily i have a a few males in my company but uh, you're completely female yes. correct we have a completely yeah, yeah. woman-owned um firm and uh we only have women that work for us yeah it's not necessarily a prerequisite right. and a requirement right. but it's how it's just kind of shook out we've been able to build a good team and we've liked everybody and haven't had to like you know as we've grown we've just had women who've applied so i don't know maybe they sense it from the website actually funny story a guy called a couple weeks ago and um he said i see that you're all women um and i'm not opposed to that he goes i just he goes will you represent me do you only represent women really and i said no but I, I, that is so funny. And no one's, I mean, it's one person said yeah, that. Yeah. But I'm like, no, we'll represent you. He goes, okay, I didn't know. I thought maybe you guys only wanted to represent women. I'm like, yeah. not the worst um, idea, although not great from business perspective, because <laughs> right, men right. are charged with things a lot more yeah, than women, yeah. I think. But it just was funny. Yeah. But, um, okay, I'm trying to remember your, <laughs> okay, to so remember your question. You're, you're a woman in a male-dominated field. Yes. High pressure. Yeah. High... Um, you know, conflict kind of field. Tell me about bullying and boundaries and how you've learned to navigate them. And Oh, with a smile <laughs> and, a, and a nice remark. Um, when I was like nine months pregnant at the at the courthouse, um, I had a guy make a comment to me about like whether or not we we're going to need to like call my like call my OB because I was like, which I was like, I was like, what? He was an old guy. I was like, I was actually really offended by it, but I was just like, I'm not, whatever. Like things like that. Like I'm here working. Like I'm nine months pregnant. I'm here. I don't know. The baby might come out later today, but I'm here. I'm good for right now. We're yeah, going to do this yeah. pre-trial. 
Um, so, I mean, yeah, you get those types of comments that, I mean, I still have people, I check into a court, especially if I'm not that familiar with it, and they'll think that I'm the client. Um, like, I'm not, you know, I'll be, like, carrying my, which I don't carry a briefcase. I carry, like, a coach backpack, which is, and I'm usually, you know, I'm dressed down today, but usually I'm, like, in a suit. It's very obvious. Ma'am, how can we help you? Um, I'm, I'm an attorney. I'm checking in. I'm waiting for my client. Like, things like that happen a lot. Really? A lot. Yes. A lot. I hear women talk about it all the time. My colleagues talk about and it all I'm, the time. And the men don't experience this, sir. How I can't, can I help you? I can't imagine that they do. They walk in in their suit and yeah. they're like, oh, dude's an attorney. Right. Right. I, wow. I can't imagine that they get that, that type of question. It seems so bizarre to me. 2024 now. Right. Like, how can that be? I'm like, I'm in a, I don't know what else you would think. And sometimes I've been a little snappier than I need to be with, like, deputies or and I'll be like I, I don't know how to make it more clear to you like I'm not sure what else I could have done to make it more clear to yeah. you that I am an it's attorney. almost like you need like one of those press flak jackets right it says attorney at right law. right like I'm not a visitor attorney like <laughs> I don't know what else to do besides put like a giant like yeah. arrow on my on my head <laughs> um so things like that happen which yeah. is kind of like you know, you just kind of brush them off. But, like, yeah. some of those, like, micro things, like, kind of, like, get, Over time. get in your craw a little bit. Yeah. Especially if you're, like, maybe not having the best day or you're already feeling a little, like, overwhelmed or stressed. Right, I mean, it's like, right. you know, you're already feeling like maybe you're having an imposter syndrome day, right? And then that happens and you're like, yeah. shit. Like, I don't even look like a lawyer. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. It probably those questions don't just come from men. Do you sometimes get asked those things yes, by women? Yes, more than more from men, I think. Yeah. But I think I it's, I don't think. Can but yeah, I think I've had it asked from women before as well, yeah. like an old like older people usually. Yeah. But you know, because women are awful to women. Oh yeah. So it's yeah. So you get it from all the different oh, angles. Yeah. I've heard and seen things in meeting rooms where someone says something right, uh, and you're and you just kind of what like what right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And that's when you're like, okay, this is not about me. Right. This is obviously about you. You're mm -hmm, having mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. a moment. I'm mm -hmm. going to let you have your moment because this is not about me. Yeah. So how have you taken these values you have about no bullying and being kind and being respectful? How have you um, infused the culture of your company to, to practice what you preach? I've tried really hard, like we talked about, with just how we treat people, right? And how we treat people that work for us. I mm -hmm. try really hard not to say work for me or my, you know, everything is really team. And it's not just saying the words, right? It's it's doing, it's doing acting out those words. So we hired an associate attorney um, who passed the bar in uh, November and she had been a law clerk with us before. And so trying to give her an experience that's different than what my partner and I had. As mm -hmm. young lawyers, mm -hmm. because we did not have, well, I always, I always, I opened up my shop right away. So I didn't really have a bad experience. I don't know any other way to make a living. I never had a job, right? It's the only way I know how to do it. But, you know, as a law clerk or as a law student, making sure that she has a different experience than what we experienced from mm -hmm. just mentors who were supposed to help us yeah, yeah and so trying to infuse that you know we're a team and you can always ask questions and we want you to grow and we want you to develop personally and we want right. you to you know not have you know your life is not going to be this job we're going to work really hard but we're going to 
have fun and do things on, you know, Fridays we'll do, not every Friday, I wish it were every Friday, but sometimes we'll do firm Friday where we'll go to Top Golf or we'll go to the spa or nice. just do things to get out of the office, but do things right. together. Right. Um, so that everyone can kind of just like reset a little bit because right. it is, it's stressful work. Yeah. Do you find you're educating these women about like, you're going to face these things when you walk into the justice center yes. or, and here's how we handled it and how you can handle it yes. and things like that. Things come up every day where it's like, Oh, we didn't, we didn't tell you this. Oh. Um, and then she'll say, I did this. And then the judge said I should have done this. And the judge was really nice about it, but I'm so sorry. And I'm like, first of all, you were in a great room and the judge gets it and she's fine. And, but we didn't tell you that we didn't even think about that. Like we've forgotten what it's like to be a brand new lawyer. Mm -hmm. who's been a lawyer for, mm -hmm. Two months. And I've told her what I told you. I, I've told her, okay, you're going to get on this floor and they're not going to know who you are. And I said, you're just going to walk into the courtroom. You don't look at them. Do not make eye contact with, with the deputies yeah. because they're going to ask you what you're doing and you're they're going to ask yeah. you who you are. Yeah. And you're, just, you're not even going to make eye contact. You're just going to walk straight into the courtroom. Yeah. So to avoid that. Yeah. So two <laughs> things come to mind. One is um, a very dear friend, Jennifer Stringer, who's been on the podcast before. Her, her father had a saying is you rise up the ladder you reach down and you pull people up the ladder with yep. you, which sounds to me is what you're doing, which is trying. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you. Um, the other thing is my son is a history nerd and a political science nerd. And so he's told me these hilarious stories of people who have like gone in and taken over, like during the Iron Curtain era would like go in and take over a whole checkpoints and stuff and he said all you have to do all these people did is they wore the suit and they had the clipboard mm -hmm. and they confidently walked in and just yeah. like took over yeah and like held up traffic for you know days or one guy took over a castle in some place like yeah all the i'm sorry all these crazy stories of people who just like walked confidently in looked official had a vest on or a hat or a thing yeah and people totally believed them like the first person who I think stole the Mona Lisa. They basically like put on the uh, maintenance uniform or whatever and just like confidently walked in middle of the day. Everyone could see them yep. like, walked out with it. And it was just like, like you said, don't make eye contact. Yep. Just like I'm meant to be here. I'm official. <laughs> I belong here. And that's something my grandma, who my daughter is named after, um, told me and I carry this every day that she's like, you belong at the table. And there are lots of times oh, where I'm the only that. woman at a table. Okay, Market, that's the title <laughs> of this episode. You belong at the table. Thank you. This you're, is what we struggle with every week oh, is titles. You just did it for us. I think Thank about you. I think about that all the time because there are lots of times where it's like I'm the only woman. Um yeah. and I'm like, or why do I want to go to this meeting? You know. But if I don't go then I then there will be no more women. The ta yeah. Then it, the table won't change. Yeah. Let's dive a little deeper into that. You belong at the table. When you're in the courtroom, maybe not now, but in the beginning, earlier years, were there moments of imposter syndrome? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't really belong here. Like, yes. Tell me about that and how there, you got through it. Those still exist. <laughs> and I think most lawyers would tell you that they do, especially when you're because of why you're there mm -hmm. and because it matters that it's like, if you're not a little bit nervous, like you probably don't care. Right. That's a very good point. Um, yeah. But you obviously, I'm not as, it's not as debilitating <laughs> to me as it, as it used to be. And there would be times I'd be afraid to speak up if I, you know, if I, you know, the judge, you can tell if a judge is in a bad mood or you can tell when the ship is going down and someone's <laughs> going to prison or, mm -hmm. you know, things get contentious. 
Um, and you're like, do I really want to add fire mm -hmm. to this? Mm -hmm. But, you know, unless something is spoken in a courtroom with a with a court reporter taking it down, like there's no record of it. It didn't happen. And like this, there are things that we have to to do and have to say, even when they are, you know, hard to do. There are arguments that you have to make on behalf of your mm -hmm. client. And that's what advocacy requires. Right. So how does that extend to your clients that they belong at the table? Like, how do you include them? How do you help them understand their rights? And how does that extend outside of the courtroom? So we try really hard to have communications with them to break down, you know, questions. I think we're pretty accessible by phone and clients text us and, you know, we'll have Zoom calls with them just to like answer questions that they have. Something that we started doing was we started distributing a welcome packet whenever people hire us that has a lot of jargon that they will hear in their criminal case. And we have found that to be helpful like for people. Like to decode it for uh -huh. them. Uh-huh. Like That's what nice. is a pretrial? What is your arraignment? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What is a bond? Mm -hmm. um, how long is this going to take? Mm -hmm. um, just things like that. Because that, most people are pretty foreign to the criminal for, justice system. Right. And they're kind of lost and deer in the headlights. Exactly. So, you know, those questions of that people are always calling and saying, well, what is the pretrial? Or what is my arraignment? We try to answer those, you know, give them that information for them to, like, review. And I think that makes them feel, like, more collaborative with the whole Mm -hmm. process but I think just being accessible helps them you know if you have a yeah. question ask like yeah. there's not really a, a dumb question yeah. Yeah. you've never done this before for a lot of people yeah. why would you know yeah 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 um so for those who work with you and are able to get the outcome that they want do you find that they feel more empowered that they feel um heard like, mm -hmm. how do you? It's a tough question because yeah. there are so few outcomes that are exactly what somebody wants. Mm. Even if somebody were found not guilty, they still had to go through this and they're still angry about having to go through it. Or they're still like, very stressful. It's, unless yeah. you could just like completely go back in time would mm -hmm. really be mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. times what somebody mm -hmm. Like, that would be the only way that would make this better. And we tell that to clients. Like, unless we could go back in time and this never happened, you're not going to walk away from this and be, like, even if you're completely exonerated, you're still going to have, like, baggage mm -hmm. from just this process. Um, but I would like to think that people feel empowered and, like, they've had a voice. Um, and I and, it, and if they don't, I... I we try to make it our goal that it's not because of us, right? Right. That that it wasn't because of something that we said or right. that we did, and right. that we recognize that there was something that un, you know, yeah, there was something that was said that was unfair, or there was something that happened at court that you know yeah. we're sorry yeah. that that happened, or we're sorry that somebody treated you, yeah, like that. Yeah, I kind of want to circle back to bullying a little bit. I also want to think about young women going into very high-stress, high-stakes jobs, what advice would you have for a younger you entering what is a very contentious field um, about navigating bullying, how to set boundaries? Like, what, what advice would you give young women or yourself in hindsight? I think my ultimate advice would be that no one is paying attention to you like you think they are. <laughs> yes. I say that all the time. 
the things, everyone cares about themselves. They the, don't care about you. The things that you're worrying about. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to sound stupid. I'm not going to know what I'm doing. Right. Um, they're going to, you know, they're not even probably, it's probably not even on somebody's radar. And if it is, it's going to be gone and, right. you know, like this, because there's going to be something else that, that comes along. Right. So the things right. that we stop ourselves from doing because we're we afraid are to make afraid a fool of ourselves. that we're going to look stupid. We're yeah. going to, I don't want to look stupid. And yeah. I struggle with this like a ton. Like I, I really struggle personally with this, professionally with this, um, of just not wanting to look mm-hmm. like I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's a control. It's a control thing. It's a mm-hmm. childhood trauma thing. It's just a, of an issue of control. So, but I recognize that, yeah. right? I've yeah. tried to work on that. So that's probably my ultimate advice is that like yeah. if, if it's just if the if the question is just am I gonna be do I think I'm gonna look stupid that if that's the only thing holding you back from saying the right thing doing the right thing standing up for standing yourself. up for yourself standing up for somebody else um, then that that's not good enough reason it's just not a good enough reason very good I like that <laughs> I like that so tell people how they can find you. So we are um, on all the socials, and I really ex- hope that you guys follow us. Actually, I think you guys did follow us. We follow you. Yes. Okay. Yes, so, yes. and we'll put links on our website. Oh, thank you. But so, just you yeah. Know, for so those it's AJ. Who... So it's AJ LJ Law on Facebook and on Instagram, and I have a personal TikTok um, called Lady Lincoln Lawyer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, oh. I saved that for our meeting today. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll have to go check that so out. So I'm trying to become a TikTok star. So oh please follow us on all those fun things oh, fun. and see our embarrassing yeah. dances. Do you keep files in the trunk of your car? Uh, probably. <laughs> amongst other things. I We do watch that show at my house. So it's a good Lincoln series. Lawyer, it's, it's a good, it's it's a good, good. series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is good. And the book's good, too. Yes. So. <laughs> well, thank you so thank much you for, for coming having me. I really enjoyed this. And I really appreciate your insights into the criminal justice system and also just your, your experience being a woman, professional woman or just professional how <laughs> about that you. okay thank you so much okay so that's it for now thanks for listening that's a hard no is a production of clever girl marketing my little agency in cleveland in partnership with our friends at evergreen podcasts Many thanks to our amazing team, including Maura Del Rosario, our production and marketing coordinator, Noah Fouts, our amazing producer, editor, and composer who wrote our theme music and performed it with his band, The Big Leagues, and our new video producer and editor, Kay Holmberg. You can find show notes and resources on our website, and you can find other fun stuff on our socials. We're Hard No Podcast, and we're now on YouTube, so check us out there. Make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite listening platforms, but especially Apple. Can you please do us a favor? Give us a rating and review so more people can find us and learn how to say no. So until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no, then say it with me. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.